Well, hello, everyone. It is an honor and a privilege, as always, to be sharing the Word of God with you. Uh, Go ahead and open up your Bibles. We are going to be all over the place today uh, throughout Scripture, and the topic we're going to be discussing today in today's lesson is this topic of suffering. Now, suffering is a word that we often shy away from. It's something we try to avoid talking about, and although we try to avoid it, uh, we can't deny its existence. You know, we often take to Twitter or social media, and that's all we have to do, really, to see the constant stream of bad news. Suffering is a reality in this life, and I think it's interesting that for those of us here in the West who live fairly well-off lives, enjoy a comfortable, you know, comfortable standard of living, often think of suffering as something really, really big, like a like a large earthquake that devastates thousands, or an unexpected event that takes the lives of others, and. As a matter of fact, these are, of course, great examples of suffering. But we also experience suffering on a daily basis. I was listening to a pastor a few months ago on a podcast talk about this, that the reality is we all experience suffering at some level on a daily basis. Some of us have experienced great moments of suffering, things like unexpected loss, tragedy within a family, an incurable diagnosis. That type of suffering may well have touched our lives, the big stuff, the really, really big stuff. But we also suffer daily. We enter into the experience of suffering often every day. Let me list some things, and this might might be true of you as well. Unfulfilled dreams and unmet longings. Temptations and addictions, sinful habits that we wrestle and struggle with. Decisions and sins that we've made in the past that weigh us down. Insecurities that continue to stalk us. The worries and anxieties that keep us up at night. And so much more. The list can go on. All of these things, though they may seem small on the grand scale, are actually all forms of suffering. They remind us that the world that we live in is a fallen world. That this world is not all right. And I, for one, am happy that the Bible does not shy away from this. Instead, throughout the pages of Scripture, we see that oftentimes the main characters of the Bible experience intense suffering and pain. And in the pages of Scripture, we encounter a God who is not indifferent to our suffering or even surprised by our suffering, but instead a God who is with us in the midst of it, who brings us comfort and peace, and who actually uses suffering for our good and for his glory. So today we're going to take an adventure. As I mentioned, throughout Scripture, we're going to explore this topic of suffering. And the outline for today's uh, lecture are two divisions. I've got two divisions. The first division is Division 1, the reality of our suffering, and Division 2, hope in our suffering. And I think the big idea that we can take away from this week's lesson is that the Bible equips us to handle life as it really is and introduces us to a God who steps into our fallen world to bring redemption and restoration in the midst of suffering. I'll say that one more time. The Bible equips us to handle life as it really is and introduces us to a God who steps into our fallen world to bring redemption and restoration in the midst of suffering. So let's dive in here to this first division, Division 1, The Reality of Our Suffering. Uh, as I mentioned, this, this, week, this week's lesson, we don't have a single book or, cha- or set of chapters that we're looking at, but we're rather taking a bird's eye view of how Scripture views suffering. So let's take a look, first of all, to some verses in 2 Kings that our lesson points us to. Uh, that's 2 Kings chapter 17 and 2 Kings chapter 25. 
Uh, these are actually chapters that we've already studied in uh, the Kingdom Divided study here at BSF. Um, and if, we're, if we remember, right, Second Kings often chronicled the perilous nature of the divided kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And these two chapters really summarize the core of their peril quite well. So let's dive into what these two chapters uh, highlighted for us. Well, these two chapters show us that Israel followed into that pa- the pagan ways of the surrounding nations. Uh, they followed after false idol worship. They forsook their covenant with the one true God. And in the midst of idol worship and pagan practices, they ended up oppressing one another, taking advantage of the poor. They forsook the ways of God. They even so much, uh, they even went as far as doing the absolute detestable, which was child sacrifice. It was brutal, horrendous rebellion towards God, and it brought great suffering amongst them. And we learned Judah wasn't much better. Uh, Judah actually followed after Israel in idol worship. Uh, And both of these kingdoms were eventually taken captive by the Babylonians and the Assyrians, and they were taken from their homeland, stripped from their families, and they were placed under authority by a pagan nation. Um, So tremendous suffering caused by their sin and then tremendous effects of that suffering through exile after that. And here's a brutal truth. We have to understand that suffering is a reality in this world. Um. And, and on top of that, sin is often at the core of this suffering. Sin itself, rebellion towards God, brings about tremendous suffering. Uh, if we remember all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, at the beginning of the Bible, when sin enters the world, Adam and Eve committed the first sins. And the Lord says this in Genesis three nineteen: By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return." Sin entering the world is the foundation of all suffering. What's wrong with the world, what's ultimately wrong and broken about us, stems and starts in sin. And in hearing this, when you, it might, might make you think of your own sin, the decisions you've made in life where you didn't walk in God's will, you didn't do what was right, the times where you walked away from what you knew was right, and instead you acted on emotion or you gave into that bad habit or addiction Maybe you're thinking about, as I'm bringing sin up and sin and suffering, you're thinking about your own poor decisions that you've made in life. And they likely caused great suffering for you because sin always causes suffering. Not just the anguish and regret that bad decisions cause, but it may even actually have caused suffering amongst the people around you. Sin rarely affects just one person. It often spreads. The Bible is clear. Sin does cause great suffering. But I think when you're hearing this, before you get crushed by the reality of your own sin, I think we need to remember something that's incredibly important. And let's take a break here and read actually from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And our our lesson actually pointed us to this uh, scripture uh, this week. So let's, I'm going to read this for us. Uh, Starting in verse 1, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you, will, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. 
Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. For to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Mighty Counselor, Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. Excuse me. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. All right, why do I bring up that verse in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7? Because I think we have to remember, when we're thinking about our own sin and the sin that causes suffering, we have to understand what God does in the midst of our sin. I mean, it begs the question, right? In the midst of great sin, Israel and Judah following after their own way, child sacrifice, idol worship, oppression, taking, taking advantage of the poor. Did God abandon Israel and Judah in their sin? Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 through 17 tells us the, 1 through 7 tell us the exact opposite. Instead of abandoning his people despite their open rebellion towards them, towards him, God comforts his people. He promises them that he would send a savior, the Messiah, to restore, to redeem, to free them from their burdens. So before you think that the sin you've committed has caused too great of suffering to be redeemed, either for yourself or for others, think again, because God does not abandon you in your sin. Despite the decisions that you've made in the past, despite and yet the times that you've chosen to do wrong rather than right. And by the way, can I just say this? We all have a past. We all have those moments where we did wrong when we should have done right. We all have that history. The Lord promises, even in the midst of that, the Lord comes to you and promises to restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. As Joel 2.25 reads, the promise that God gives to you in the midst of sin that causes suffering is Jesus. And we just read it in chapter 9 of Isaiah, where Isaiah is prophesying about the coming Messiah. Jesus comes to us, promises to release us of our burdens, forgive our sin, restore our brokenness, and make all things new. To make a way in the wilderness, streams in the wasteland, as Isaiah 43 chapter 19 tells us. Hear this again. If you don't hear anything today, hear this. God has not abandoned you in your poor decisions and in your sin. He has come to forgive you and he's come to restore. He's come to restore. But we also have to take note of this. While we know that sin causes suffering, suffering is a reality. Sin is the bedrock of all suffering. And oftentimes personal sin causes great suffering. We also have to realize that personal sin is not always the cause of all suffering. Think about this. Think about the things that are totally out of your control. Things that have happened to you that you really had no part in. They just happened. I'm going to list some scenarios for you. How about abandonment from a friend that is totally unexpected? You did nothing to deserve it. It just happened. How about a diagnosis that rattles your world, shakes your foundation? The loss of a loved one the loss of a job or a financial struggle. That's not all because of your personal sin. Those things are not easily explained. They just happen. It causes us to remember Isaiah 55 verses eight through nine. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
suffering feels like a mystery and it is oftentimes unexplainable. And we have to exercise some caution when, when we um, might assign a reason for someone's suffering. We don't know. We have no idea why people suffer at many times. And oftentimes it's not because of some sin, but it's because we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world where suffering is a reality. And even in those moments where we feel like we've done all the right things and yet we are still facing heartbreak, we are still facing unanswered questions, we are still experiencing brokenness, fear, loss, and suffering, the Lord comes to us and says in Isaiah 55, my ways are not your ways. I allow what happens in the, what I allow to happen in this life is far beyond what you can comprehend. That's what the Lord tells us. But the Lord doesn't just leave us with this either. Think of this verse from Lamentations 3. The writer of Lamentations 3 says, I called on your name, Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ears to to my cry for relief. Have you ever cried that before God before? Do not close your ears to, to my cry for relief. You came near when I called you and you said, do not fear. The Lord took up my case and you redeemed my life. When we experience the reality of suffering in this world, whether it's suffering that we brought on ourselves or if it's just the fact of living in a fallen world, it's in these moments that we can actually experience the presence of God most clearly. And that's what leads us to our first principle today, which is that God draws near to us in the reality of our suffering. God draws near to us in the reality of our suffering. I think many of us can struggle with the idea that suffering is a reality in this world, especially the suffering that we experience, which is often out of our control. See, we can deal with sin when it happens to quote unquote bad people, right? Well, we say, well, that person struggled with addiction, so they had it coming to them. Or they look, you might look at someone who committed an affair and they say, well, they deserved it. They brought it on themselves. And I think for even for us Christians, we can get into this human pattern of thinking and we can think, Bad people are the ones that suffer, and good people are blessed. But see, when we start to take that apart, when we start to think about our own lives as quote-unquote good people, that's when this logic begins to break down. Because no matter who you consider yourself to be, whether you consider yourself to be a good person or a bad person, suffering touches the lives of all of us eventually. And if it happens to us, when we think we've done everything right and yet we still suffer, we start to think some pretty... Toxic thoughts. We start to think things like, wait a minute, I I was the good friend. I was the loyal friend. I was the trustworthy spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend. No one's supposed to abandon me. No one's supposed to cheat on me. I did everything right. Or maybe we start to think, I was a hardworking employee. I did my best. I showed up every single day. I I stayed late. I shouldn't have lost my job. Or I'm a kind person. I always think of others first. I always do what's best. I follow God to the T. I don't deserve this diagnosis. I don't deserve this report from the doctor. Or I shouldn't have lost my loved one to death. Or, or, and the list goes on. And it's really, really easy to fall into that pattern of thinking. But you know what? That type of thinking is not found in the Bible. And it is not the gospel. Right? Are you hearing those words echo from Isaiah 55 again? My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. What I allow in your life is not always explainable. And by the way, you want to talk about someone who never deserved suffering? How about Jesus? (laughs) 
the suffering servant, as we are introduced in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, the prophet, describes Jesus as the suffering servant. Think about the life of Jesus, the greatest one to ever breathe a breath. God incarnate, the only son of God who lived the perfect life, experienced the highest form of suffering. Not just the natural sufferings of life or being abandoned, but he actually took on the burden of sin and he ended up dying on a criminal's cross. Even Jesus, even God did not spare his own son of suffering from suffering. But of course, we know the story does not just end with Jesus dying on a cross. There was an empty tomb three days later. We're going to get into that in our second division. But we, before we move on, let's just wrap up with this first division on that truth that suffering is a reality. But suffering doesn't have victory, just like Jesus' death wasn't the end of the story. Now, whatever you, whenever you include God in the equation of suffering, not only does suffering not have the final victory, but God actually uses suffering for our good and his glory. It's at the center of God's rescue and redemption plan for the world. So that leads us to our final division, division two, which is hope in our suffering, hope in our suffering. We already alluded to this in, in the first division, but the, I think there are three main ways that our lesson points us to that give us hope in the midst of our suffering. Uh, the first one is that God draws near to us in suffering. We just read about that. We learned in the first division that God does not abandon his people in the midst of suffering, even when that suffering is caused by us, by caused by our sin and poor decisions. God does not abandon us in those moments. He actually brings us his presence and provides salvation and rescue. Uh, God also uses suffering to shape and mold us into, the pe- into people after his own heart. And God has ultimate victory over suffering through Jesus, our victorious thing, victorious King. So this last point, God has ultimate victory over suffering. We're actually going to explore more in the conclusion. But for now, let's, let's dive into that second point. God uses suffering to shape and mold us into people after his own heart. So our lesson points us to a few verses in the Old and New Testament that highlight this spiritual reality that God uses suffering actually in our lives to accomplish his purposes. Let's read first, for example, Psalm 40, verse 17. And that psalm reads, but as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. You know, suffering awakens us from our dependence and reminds us that we are weak and that we need the Lord to sustain us. We can often think that we are independent, that we are self-sufficient, that we got to do our best to live on this world. Do you know what the reality is? There's a lot of things that happen to us that are totally out of our control. When we face an unexpected tragedy or another form of suffering, such as depression or loneliness or rejection, the list goes on as painful as it is in these moments, we are reminded that we are needy people. We are not strong on our own. I've heard it said from a prominent ministry leader here in the United States that anything that causes us to need God is a blessing. Anything in life that causes us to need God is a blessing. And like I said, we have this idea of self-sufficiency. I got to make my own way. I got to be independent. And that sounds nice. And we hear that message from the culture often. But as I mentioned, there are so many problems, things that are out of control that we cannot solve. And by the way, the biggest problem that faced that we faced was sin. And there was no way we could have dug ourselves out of that hole because Jesus was the one that needed to save us from our sins. So the fact of the matter is, as Psalm 40 verse 17 illustrates, we are needy. 
We are not sufficient enough to handle life on our own, and we are reminded that we are totally dependent on God at all times, especially in the moments of suffering. So that's the first point here that we can explore. God uses suffering to remind us of our need and dependence on him and him alone. How about Psalm 118, verses 13 through 14? That reads, I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. So let's explore this verse a little bit more. Well, we can learn from here that in suffering, God actually draws near to us and shows us how he is faithful, how he can be depended on, and how he alone, not our circumstances and not other people, is our true defender and source of hope. I mean, think about the entire Christian life. When you think, what is God's goal for us as Christians? Well, the Bible tells us that it's actually not just to follow a list of rules or to be a good person. Actually, God's goal for us is actually himself. God's goal for us is to experience him in his fullness, his glory, to experience contentment in him, satisfaction in him, to be solidified and rooted in him. And when we experience him, when we experience his power in suffering, when we experience his defense of us in in suffering, his ability to protect, his ability to be a refuge, that pops out most profoundly, most strongly in moments of suffering. Maybe right now, maybe this is speaking directly to your situation. Maybe you are going through a difficult season in life right now. Maybe you got a bad diagnosis of the doctor. Maybe you're struggling with depression. Maybe you're going through a difficult financial season where you don't know where the next, uh, where you don't know where, how you're going to pay your bills. God continues to provide and meet your physical needs day by day. Or how about when your reputation has been tarnished and gossip is spreading about you that you cannot control? God reminds us in his word that he alone is our defender and that if we are in Christ, there's actually no condemnation for us anymore. As I mentioned, maybe you're going through bouts of depression, emptiness, anxiety. Things are keeping you up at night. God in those moments literally draws near to us and through his word and through his spirit begins to heal the brokenness within. It's not an easy process. It's not a quick process. It's on his timing, but he does it. Suffering actually proves God to be faithful in our lives because even in the midst of our pain, Jesus emerges as our one true defender and protector. A couple more verses here. How about Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 7? Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 7 reads, Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will melt them and try them, for how shall I do for the daughter of my people? How about Zechariah Zechariah 13, um, verse 9? This third day I will... This third I will put into the fire. I'll refine them like silver. I'll test them like gold. And I find it interesting that these verses use those phrases, I will melt them. I will refine them. That's God talking about his own people. He's going to use tragedy and suffering to melt them, to refine them. That doesn't sound really assuring, right? But when I think about the times in my own life where things have gone well, I'm experiencing success. My social calendar is filled. I feel needed. I feel wanted. I feel good about myself. When suffering feels a million miles away, don't we love those days, right? And thank God for good days. Thank God for days where we're not enduring uh, a lot of suffering. 
But do I feel like I really need God in those moments? When my bank account is full, when I'm going on vacation, when I'm living life to the fullest, am I really concerned about my relationship with God? Am I concerned with others? Do I really even notice or think about other people who are suffering? Do I care about the people who are in desperate need for acts of kindness, mercy, and grace? I often find when life is good for me, I don't necessarily concern myself with the things of God or the affairs of others. I I become super self-focused. I focus on my comfortability and my level of happiness. But as I mentioned, God's goal for my life is not for me to be happy all the time. It's actually deeper than that. It's actually greater than that because happiness is often dependent on our own circumstances and how life, how well life is going on for us, around us. And, and you can't rely on circumstances to always be happy. You can't because there are going to be things in your life that are out of your control. That will cause suffering because that's the world we live in. Now, God's goal isn't just happiness because that, that is dependent on circumstances. God's goal for us is actually joy and peace which is deeper, which is beyond our circumstances. He is refining us in the midst of suffering. He is melting our hearts so that we can start thinking about eternal things that really matter, not our comfortability, not our status or popularity or our level of wealth, but rather our relationship with God through Jesus and how that relationship with God can bless us those around us. That's what God is interested in. And our last verse here, as we wrap up this division, Romans chapter five, verses three through five, another example of how God uses suffering to grow us. Romans five reads, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Clear as day, Paul lays out what suffering produces in the life of a Christian in Romans 5. It produces endurance and character. As we wait in the midst of our suffering, we begin to experience God's love for us. What a tremendous blessing to experience God's love for us. To be reminded that he has not abandoned us or forgotten us in our suffering, and he is not even surprised by our suffering. He knew this suffering would happen in our lives. He's actually using suffering to glorify him and to grow and mature us. God does his finest work through brokenness. And that leads us to our final principle today, which is that God uses suffering to bring us near to him and to work out his redemptive purposes in our lives. God uses suffering to bring us near to him and to work out his redemptive purposes for our lives. All right, as we wrap up here, I mentioned... um, I didn't cover one of the points uh, that I would cover in our second division. That was that the reason, one of the reasons we can have hope in our suffering is because Jesus has ultimate victory in our suffering. So we, right, we, we have hope in our suffering because God draws near to us. He promises his presence. He grows and molds us. But the big reason why we have hope in suffering is because Jesus has the ultimate victory over suffering. So we're going to explore that point right now. So you might be hearing me today. And you might think, okay, so God uses suffering to grow me. God grows closer to me in suffering. And that sounds fine. But first of all, how do you even know? (laughs) How do you know? And even if God does work in the midst of my suffering, so what? 
I'm still suffering. I'm still struggling with loneliness. I'm still depressed. I'm still wrestling with addiction or financial loss or fill in the blank. Why does it matter to me? Because I'm still going through this tremendous amount of pain. Those are great questions. And I ask those questions a lot, frankly. Because suffering is not pleasant. Suffering is painful. And when you're in the midst of suffering, it can feel like it just drags on. But for all of this, why does it matter that I'm bringing up all these points? Why does it matter for us that Jesus has victory in suffering? Why does it matter? Let's read Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. Surely he took up our pain. This is the prophet Isaiah, 700 years, by the way, before Jesus even walked the earth. Isaiah writes, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 700 years ago, Isaiah is writing and prophesying about the coming Messiah, the suffering servant. And of course, we know that is fulfilled through the life of Jesus. Jesus is that suffering servant that Isaiah is describing here in verses four through six. Think again of what Jesus endured in his earthly ministry. I talked about this at the beginning. His closest friends ended up abandoning him. Some of his own family members didn't even believe he was the Messiah. His own people rejected him and refused to put their trust in him. He was brought before the religious leaders of the day, placed on a sham trial. He was questioned. He was humiliated. He was beaten. He was mocked. And then he carried a criminal's cross, though he was the most innocent person to ever walk the earth. And the suffering servant did all of this for a reason, to bear the sin penalty that you and I both deserved before a righteous and holy God. And again, you might be hearing this. You're like, okay, that sounds nice, but so what? What does this have to do with the suffering that I endure now? Well, it it does a few things for us, but I think, you know, for us, it, it reminds us that we actually serve a God who has experienced suffering himself. He is not ignorant of our suffering. He empathizes. He sympathizes. He has experienced. He has been down the roads of suffering that we go down already. He's already been down this road. I mean, think think about Hebrews four. Um, the Hebrews writer, uh, the writer of Hebrews writes. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we don't have a high uh, high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way, just as we were, just as we are, yet he didn't sin. So let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. So we have Jesus, we have, we serve a God who has gone down the same road of suffering that we have. He empathizes, he sympathizes with us. He knows where we've been. That, that's one reason to care about what Jesus went through. But here's another more, I think, incredible truth too as to why we can have hope in suffering because Jesus went down those roads of suffering because the son of God as he endured that life of suffering 
that life did not end on a cross. We still have the empty tomb. In Jesus' resurrection, King Jesus stands above and victorious over sin, over death, over suffering. It's what Isaiah prophesies about, what the life of Jesus points to and what is fulfilled at the very end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21. I mean, consider again, let's read this verse from Isaiah 43. We read it earlier. See, I am doing a new thing. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. I am doing a new thing. It springs up. Don't you perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness, streams in the wasteland. That same verbiage is used in Revelation 21. What Jesus, what Jesus accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection, what that reveals is that Jesus has dealt with our most important problem, which is sin. He has dealt with our unholiness before a holy God. And he has defeated sin and death in his cross and his resurrection. And on top of that, as we read in Isaiah, as we've contemplated these verses, he is going to restore, he's going to renew, he is going to redeem all of your suffering. The cross reminds us and proves to us that although we endure suffering now, suffering does not have the last word. What awaits us if we are in Christ is actually redemption, restoration, healing of our brokenness, and true peace that we have longed for. And you know, we still have those questions. Why suffering now though? Why difficulties and trials now? And you know, when I pondered my own suffering uh, and when I've taken suffering to God, when I'm you know, going through bouts of depression or loneliness, when I'm enduring brokenness I, and I come to God in honest prayer and I say, Lord, help me. Lord, Lord, why? <laughs> why am I suffering? I don't really find the reason why I suffer. God doesn't really tell me. He doesn't tell me why I suffer. Instead, what I receive when I come to God in prayer in the midst of suffering is actually better than the reason why. What God gives me in the midst of my suffering is his presence. He gives me the reality that he has stepped down into my brokenness, in my humanity, has promised to be with me, to be a refuge. And his cross and resurrection remind me that even in my suffering, even in my sin, even in my poor decisions, even in my sin, God is going to use those things to restore and redeem this world. That he is going to use all all of that suffering, every broken moment for his glory and my good. The, pro- the cross promises that to us and the resurrection proves it. That God ultimately uses suffering for good. All right, as we wrap up, do you know God that way? Do you know Jesus that way? Do you know the God of the Bible who steps into our suffering and doesn't give us the reason why to our suffering. But he comes to us and he says, look to the cross. Look at what I have accomplished on the cross. I have taken your sin to the cross to forgive and restore you. And in my resurrection, I promise to you that one day 
your sufferings will be made right. You will be restored and you will be, and you will receive a peace that will last forever. That's what Christ comes to us in the midst of our suffering and through the cross and his his resurrection. That's what he promises to us. Do you know Jesus that way? Have you encountered God that way? If the answer is no or you don't know, there's never too late of a time to start. You can come before God right now in his word, in his Bible. You can come to him right now as we wrap up and you say, Lord, I want to know you the way the Bible reveals you to be. I want to know the one who is revealed to me in the Bible. I want to know the one who steps down into my brokenness, steps down into my suffering, promises to make all things new, promises to forgive and restore the bad decisions and sin that I have committed in the past. And the one who promises to use my suffering for your glory and my good. We don't really know how that happens. That is a mystery. But believe today that that is the God that we serve and that is the God that is revealed in the Bible. Will you come before God today and encounter him? Let's pray. Lord God, I pray for all of us who are hearing this or watching this. Or that we would experience the God of the Bible as revealed to us in the pages of Scripture that when we suffer, that when we go through brokenness, through financial difficulty, through loneliness, through depression, through anxiety, through a difficult diagnosis that we see that we receive from the doctor, and maybe it's even the anguish of our past, the depression of, of poor decisions that have been made. Lord God, I pray that we would come before you with humble hearts, that we would plead before you, that we would meet and experience the one who restores, who forgives, and actually uses suffering for our good and for your glory. Lord God, I pray that for anybody who is unsure that they have met you in that way, in that personal way, Lord, I pray that that their prayer, as soon as we get off this call, as soon as we end this video, would be to experience you in that way, Lord. Lord Jesus, you have compassion for the sinner. Lord, you promise redemption and renewal for those who come before you in repentance and trust, Lord. I pray that if anybody's on the fence about who you are, that they would just come before you right now in prayer. and They would just cry out to you and meet the one that restores and redeems and makes all things new. We thank you, God, that the Bible does not shy away from suffering, but rather it points to its reality. Suffering is a reality, but Lord, you have conquered. You have redeemed, Lord, and in your cross and resurrection, you have promised to make all things new and you're doing it right now. We thank you, Lord, and we come before you and we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. I hope you were encouraged by today's message. Uh, God bless you. And thanks again for listening. Take care.